Okay. Yeah, it sounds great. Okay. So right on. yeah, thanks for calling in. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself and uh, yeah, tell the listeners what's what's going on with you. Word. Uh, my name's Shahid Buttar. I'm a uh, uh, soon-to-be publicly declared candidate for public office here in San Francisco. I'm going to be challenging Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi Yay. Uh, in the 2020 Democratic primary. Excellent. Uh, well, there's definitely a lot of things to challenge her on, to put it uh, mildly. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, Thanks. I feel like this is a time when uh, there are a great many crises confronting our country, and we would hope that our elected leaders would be uh, up to the challenge. Yes. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, for better or worse, I dare say worse, uh, you know, several generations of them have, have, have proven themselves not to be. Yes, indeed. So what inspired you to, um, for our listeners out there, what inspired you to get involved? A couple things. One of them certainly was Bernie's 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, I had been asked to run for office for almost 20 years now, ever wow. since I graduated from law school uh, from Stanford. I went to D.C. to... Uh, help build the movement for peace and justice while I was uh, starting a law practice, um, pursuing a whole bunch of public interest projects related to issues like getting money out of politics and securing marriage equality for same-sex couples, which at the time was uh, very far from uh, accepted in the political mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw in Bernie's campaign success in a campaign building a movement. There's so much of electoral politics has always seemed to me like a racket. And frankly, having run for office in one cycle before, that only reinforced that impression. Yes. Uh, that notwithstanding, though, I saw Bernie help the movement through his campaign, not only by shifting the discursive window and normalizing a set of previously uh, dismissed policies that now have been uh, gained credibility by virtue of his embracing them and his advocacy. And I also saw him mobilize, electrify, and organize a base. And that in particular uh, was an example that I found inspiring, uh, one that I wanted to try to emulate. Mm -hmm. And frankly, as I see us confront a entrenched incumbent, recognizing that it will be a very steep climb the opportunity to organize and mobilize and inspire a base that can go on to do all of the various things that it can beyond our campaign, uh, you know, both issues uh, maybe that our campaign isn't uh, necessarily working on, like, uh, but also beyond temporally, the life of the campaign. Uh, you know, seeing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win in uh, Brooklyn, to me, seemed to some extent a reflection of Bernie's influence mm-hmm. and inspiration and organizing. And... Uh, you know, whether through the lens of a tactical victory, like taking the seat from the incumbent speaker, uh, or a strategic victory in the form of uh, seeing our supporters go on to do uh, inspiring and world-changing things. I'm very assured that we will win something. I'm curious to see just how much and, and uh, how broadly that victory goes. Yeah. So uh, what are some issues that you're passionate about? At the top of our platform mm-hmm. in 2020 is the Green New Deal. I am very concerned about the climate crisis confronting our species and the complete inability of our political sphere uh, to respond given its neutralization and co-optation by fossil fuel extraction companies. Um, Embedded are a couple different issues. It's both climate justice and political process reform, because as long as we have a political system that is driven by corporate money, we can predict at the outset that we won't be able to respond meaningfully to the climate crisis. so that's, that's one set of issues that very deeply inspires me. My very first legal case uh, after I graduated law school was uh, related to 
getting money out of politics. There was a law that had passed Congress uh, in the years just before. This was 2003, mm -hmm. the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act, known in some circles as McCain-Feingold. Mm -hmm. uh, it had it had aimed to take corporate soft money out of elections. Yes, and the Federal Election Commission started basically a campaign to eviscerate that law and undermine it by uh, issuing permissive regulations that the law, uh, frankly, had been passed by Congress to strengthen. And uh, I was representing the House co-sponsors of that act, um, Shades and Meehan. Chris Shays and Marty Meehan. Mm -hmm. And we won that case before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals upholding aspects of the Campaign Reform Act. Uh, this was six years before the Supreme Court in the Citizens United decision basically destroyed everything that I spent that phase of my career working on. <sighs> uh, so I've, I've spent a long time trying to get money out of politics. I've watched its intrusion, its re-intrusion, I should say. I can tell a fascinating story about Senator Feingold, who was one of the Senate co-sponsors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we can save that for... Uh, a minute, but yeah. That, so those are some issues I'm really passionate about. Medicare for all is another. Uh, the peace and justice movement and aligning aligning our foreign policy with human rights yes. is a long-standing interest of mine. I've been a direct action activist in the peace and justice movement now for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, police violence and civil rights. For the last 10 years, I've been particularly focused on surveillance of marginalized communities by local police. Mm -hmm as well as their federal counterparts. Uh, and the I don't want to describe that as a threat to privacy. I see that as a threat to democracy. Yes, yes. Uh, in the same way that I see climate, you know, the climate crisis as a threat to the continued existence of human life on Earth. You know, it's uh, these crises confronting our communities that, that are, and the need for us to better respond to them that's driving me to pursue this. Yes. Well, there's, there's a lot right there. <laughs> Sorry for talking your ear off. Oh no, no, it's oh no, no. That's why you're you're that's why you're you're here calling in. I mean, it was more of a, a comment on there's so much that's in place right now, or at least seems in place by people in positions of power that there's so much to fight back against or to correct in a way. Mm, yes, yeah. One of the things I hear you saying, and I think you're right, is that it's not just a single policy or even any set of policies that we need to combat. It is in effect an entire paradigm yes. that we need to change. Yes, indeed. Oh, and also just seeing how everything is connected, certainly, with, you know, with state violence, certainly, and with policing yep. and prisons and in corporations and how they're all in it together. Absolutely. There's a book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, that for mm -hmm. me was very informative about some of the intersections that amplify the injustices of our criminal legal system. Yes. And, you know, the fact that it's not just police violence with impunity, it's not just racial profiling, it's not just biased sentencing, and it's not just the creation of a racial caste system. It's all of those things feeding on each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you add to the mix the pervasive lack of transparency yes. and lack of accountability that yes. encourages police misconduct. Yeah, I was robbed by police in Chicago in the late 90s, Ugh. basically mugged by a gang of cops outside my apartment with all of my housemates. Uh, and it was, you know, an interesting reflection as a young person to encounter what our public servants are up to. Right, right. I should thank them for making it overt, but uh, it was a uh, an early lesson for me in in, in institutional corruption. Yes, uh, and and certainly a formative experience in, um, in 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 baking into my view a critique of power. Yes. 
Well, it's really important that, you know, these voices that your voices and, and voices like this are, are out there and people have, cause I think I would imagine more people than not have had negative experiences with police. I mean, at least in my circles, that's kind of a, re- a recurring theme. I think that's right. I mean, the only people I think who have positive experiences with police are people who enjoy various privileges Yes, uh, that inhibit the police from acting uh, arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it shouldn't be the privilege of some people that prevents arbitrary state action. It should be law and norms and accountability and policy right, uh, right. That, that should you know, extricate it from a calculus on the part of any police department as to how much privilege this particular person has. Yes. Um, but yes, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. As to the, the need for, uh, for new voices, I just came from this morning. I was uh, at Senator Feinstein's office with the Sunrise Movement, mm. uh, which was there at a, uh, holding an action to promote the Green New Deal. And I was so inspired, particularly by a series of young people, and I mean very young, like 10 and 12 years old, mm. who spoke very forcefully with such moral clarity. And honestly, it was generationally shaming to me yes. uh, as just someone of a generation that has been so ineffective in, um, in challenging the longstanding domination mm-hmm. by fossil fuel extraction companies of our political process. And, and particularly hearing them and their message for Senator Feinstein yes. felt like a wake-up call. You know, when we need 10-year-olds to remind our elected leaders what their jobs are, right. something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yes, earlier on in the show, I was playing some audio clips from the Oakland teachers strike, and there are a lot of students oh, nice. out there who are supporting and chanting, and it's just, it's so beautiful to hear their voices. Yes, and, and it, it speaks, I think, to, there's a culture shift happening under our feet, and I, this year is shaping up to me to be a very profound one in this respect, like the, the mobilization happening out of labor. Mm-hmm is incredibly powerful. You know, I was on the picket line last year with ASME workers on strike from UCSF yes. uh, Medical Center, as well as Unite Here workers who are on strike from Marriott. And just in the last couple of weeks, I've had an opportunity to support uh, workers at the Anchor Union, or, or Anchor Brewery and Bar, who are forming an anchor union mm-hmm. in uh, the ILWU, as well as veterinary workers who are forming a new ILWU union. And now see the teachers striking, uh, you know, down in LA and then Denver and now in Oakland. It is a very uh, interesting time in which we are living. And while in prior years, you know, I say that with the tongue-in-cheek sort of reference to the Chinese um, uh, sort of apocryphal piece of wisdom that in crisis is opportunity and Mm. interesting times are complicated times, I I see in the interesting times of this year a great deal of opportunity emerging from those previous longstanding and still continuing crises. But I, I see we the people flexing our collective might in a way that, frankly, I have not seen uh, possibly in my life ever. I mean, I, you know, I was born in 1974. I'm an immigrant. My family came to the States when I was uh, two in 1976. Mm-hmm. I've never seen an era of this degree of mobilization under the Bush administration. The peace and justice movement was certainly very mobilized, and I was uh, all up in it. Um, and you know, it was part of the movement that shut down the city of San Francisco for 36 hours. The mm-hmm. David Bush invaded Iraq and helped shut down a Lockheed Martin facility for a day with 5,000 people Ooh, around the Bay Area. That sounds cool. I would like to hear about that if you if you have the time. Sure. Yeah. Totally. I'll tell you that story. It was. Uh, it was. Um, well, I'll finish the thought and then I'll dive into. Oh it. yes, please. But even despite those very compelling, assertive, widespread mobilizations, what we are witnessing today, I think, is of a different character. 
because it's emerging through lots of different vectors. You know, if the peace and justice movement was a bunch of different people trying to stop a predictable travesty, what we are seeing today is a bunch of different people intersecting and working through all kinds of different channels to address a whole series of travesties. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing these 10-year-olds speaking truth to power outside their senator's office, uh, while at the same time, you know, these workers across the city in different pockets are mobilizing, while at the same time, uh, people are mobilizing still to try to combat police violence and violations of immigrant rights. You know, it's a multi-headed, multi-front struggle and movement that I see emerging today, uh, which is one reason I'm, I'm so inspired. Yeah. So you want to hear about the Lockheed shutdown? Oh, yes, please. All right. So uh, this really started in the fall of 2002. That was my second year in law school at Stanford. Uh, I got there in 2000. So the very first thing that happened when I started studying what passes for law in this country was its formal abdication in the Bush versus Gore decision. Mm. Uh, you know, the first time the Supreme Court has basically taken unto itself the prerogative of choosing a president which incidentally introduced a very dangerous circularity in the appointment process to the court that I dare say rendered an entire body of subsequent jurisprudence of questionable legitimacy. Uh, and I wrote actually 10 years ago a proposal for how to fix that. We can come back to that. But in any case, Bush versus Gore was the first thing that happened when I came to law school. The 9-11 attacks were the following uh, fall. Mm. And in my third year, it was uh, in the fall of 2002 that the war drum started beating. And uh, it was, of all things, reading an article in the San Francisco Chronicle mm. that pointed me for the first time to a group called Direct Action to Stop the War, mm. which was hosting weekly spokes councils um, at a church here in San Francisco in the Tenderloin. So I started coming up from Palo Alto, uh, and we were organizing on campus a series of affinity groups that organized into a cluster that then executed a student strike in the spring. And early on in the, in the spring of 2003, we'd identified a Lockheed Martin facility in Santa Clara County oh. as a local target that maybe we could mobilize opposition at. Yes. And uh, after the shutdown of San Francisco on the day of the invasion, there were a whole series of major actions. There was one a week, practically, for about a month. We shut down the docks in Oakland twice. Mm -hmm. uh, and in between those two mobilizations, we'd scheduled uh, the shutdown of Lockheed Martin. So we put out the call. We organized through the Spokes Council. We recruited allies and affinity groups from across the Bay Area. And 5,000 people wow. took the trek down to Santa Clara County, and oh, we blocked that's... all the entrances to the Lockheed Martin campus. Uh, people locked down um, inside PVC pipes. One young man uh, who was very uh, active in the organizing phase I believe at the time he was a student at uh, San Jose State. He, uh, when the cops were drilling them out of the PVC pipes, they drilled into and through his hand. Oh! And he ended up uh, passing out from blood loss. And then ultimately, I ran into him several years later and oh. come to find out that he went to the University of Kansas Medical School, essentially with his tuition paid by the county of Santa Clara. Huh. Uh, so, you know, there's interesting, uh, wow. interesting stories. Or maybe the last story I'll tell you, one of the very first collaborators that I started working with on that campaign was a, uh, a grad student studying physics um, on loan to the linear accelerator at Stanford from UC Berkeley, where he was uh, in school. He's now a, uh, an astrophysicist. He's uh, very active in uh, the Indivisible Network, and he's uh, one of the very active volunteers on our campaign. Hmm. Um, so this opportunity to work together with people who I've uh, worked alongside 
uh, for now decades in some cases is 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 one I'm excited by and uh, feel very grateful for. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you for sharing those stories with us. That's, and it's also like the kind of stories that I think a lot of us don't necessarily hear because they're not picked up by the media for the most part, or if they are, it's very one-sided. So right. it's also just really inspiring just to hear about what's happened in the past. I appreciate that. And it's, it's tricky for me as someone running for office because in the first instance, I'm much more interested in the issues than I am in myself, but I do have stories for weeks, you know, <laughs> Um, you know, getting arrested in the Senate, asking questions no one wanted to hear. That was a story that I feel like is uh, an example of the kind of thing. In that case, I think a lot of people did see it. But the, the idea of um, stories encapsulating inspiring moments of resistance is what I hear you getting at. Yes, yes. And I, I have a lot of those to share. Uh, and I, my mind tends to go to the contemporary critique of the issues we need to address. But I appreciate the invitation to mm -hmm. share some of these highlights. Yeah, definitely. So what are some ways that folks can, um, I know you've also put out the call for folks to um, gather and brainstorm together uh, with your campaign in terms of like talking about certain issues that people are working on. What are other ways that folks yeah. can, can tune in? So uh, folks can check out our social media platforms on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. We're at Shawhid for Change on each of those uh, platforms. We also have a website, shawhidforchange.us. It's still the 2018 site where what what is uh, what I describe us as soon to announce publicly, it is the website that we're working on updating at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but the 2018 site is still up and it presents a fair depiction uh, of our platform. The big change will be the emphasis on a Green New Deal that will be uh, uh, more in front in, in 2020 uh, when we relaunch. Other ways to connect with us, we've been supporting uh, I mentioned a couple of the different uh, labor mobilizations. One ongoing campaign that we've been very active in is sponsored by the National Nurses United and Our Revolution, um, seeking uh, local support for Medicare for All. And so folks who want to support our campaign can plug into the underlying movements that we're supporting. So the nurses are one example. Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, here in San Francisco, has got a very, very strong chapter that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and we have monthly meetings with uh, working groups on more or less every issue uh, that might concern someone, housing, justice, um, uh, you know, climate, the full sort of range of, of issues confronting our community. Uh, so plugging into those networks uh, is one way of helping build the movement. Um, and... Uh, I'll be very eager to uh, to reconnect with. Oh, I should name a couple other organizations. The Bernie Kratz mm -hmm. endorsed us in the last cycle, and they also host monthly meetings that are open to the public. So I invite people to check that out. Um, there are a bunch of other groups that endorse us, from the SF Tenants Union to the League of Pissed Off Voters. I'm not certain how open those groups' meetings are, uh, but you know, people who are interested in supporting the campaign uh, do so by helping support the underlying movements. You know, that's one of my uh, messages that I'm eager to repeat as often as I can, you know, where we are active in pushing volunteers beyond our campaign into the frontline organizations. Uh, that's among the things I learned from Bernie. Um, I'm eager to keep doing that. Great. Well, thanks so much for, for calling in. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Just that it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much for the forum. Oh, uh, and uh, keep up the great work. Sounds good. You too as well. Okay. Thanks, right, thanks Shahid. Okay, peace. Take care. Oh, big thank you to Shahid for calling in. And again, I will read the website where folks can check out. It's uh, Shahid for Change, and that's S-H-A-H-I-D 
F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G-E dot U-S. You can find more information there, the issues, how to donate, how to volunteer, uh, press, lots more info, and also on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. We've got a link to that site as well. So we're going to take a bit of a music break. I'll get back to finishing the article I was reading before from the examiner. And then we'll be back with some more news stories for you all here. Here's another song uh, from Yuna called Falling. And we'll be back in a bit. So please do stay tuned. Oh, oh, oh. 
right, and welcome back. That was Yuna with Falling. Thanks, Shirley, for that recommendation. Coming up, we've got the rest of the story I was reading before. It's from The Examiner, and it's about the number of folks who are unhoused who have been who have died in the past few years. Um, so I'm going to go back to, uh, let's see, I'm going to go back a few paragraphs back so we can continue on. Uh, Dina Lawn of the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium said she hoped the report would change the way the city prioritizes housing, citing a lack of coordination between our housing opportunities, which I know are very limited, and people's health status. Lawn said that those treating the homeless are frustrated that no matter how they evaluate the person's care, it doesn't seem to affect their ability to eventually get into some kind of housing situation. Fixing this, she said, will hopefully avoid some of the preventable deaths here. More than 50% of the deaths were the results of accidents such as unintentional overdose, fall, drowning, being hit by a driver or exposure. Some 30% died of natural causes, 11% by murder, and 4% by suicide. The latest single cause of death was accidental overdose. Oh, excuse me. The largest single cause of death was accidental overdose at 35% based on the autopsy reports. Of those who died, 47% had methamphetamine in their system, followed by 47% with opioids. The city recently announced a task force to address methamphetamine use. Kelly Cutler, an organizer with the Coalition on Homelessness, helps put together the community's count for an annual homeless death memorial. That tally is higher since it counts those who may have been recently sheltered in supportive housing or single-room occupancy hotels, but were previously homeless. In 2017, for example, the coalition tallied 198 homeless deaths. It's a tragedy in a city, a country with such obscene wealth. People are literally dying on our streets, Cutler said. I don't believe homelessness is viewed as the emergency and crisis that it is. She said the response should be much more like responses to earthquakes or fires. Zevin acknowledged the need to look at the deaths of the formerly homeless living in supportive housing and single-room occupancy hotels as well. We know from the medical examiner that there is a large number of deaths in those settings, and there may need to be responses that go beyond just people on the street, he said. To provide an official homeless death count, the Department of Public Health has long rallied Oh, excuse me, has long relied on the homeless death forms that the medical examiner must fill out since the Board of Supervisors required it in June of 2005, but they only capture a limited number of cases when a person has no fixed address. In 2017, for example, the homeless death forms totaled just 63. So again, uh, this article came out um, from the San Francisco Examiner on February 21st and was written by Joshua Sabatini. You can uh, check it out at the examiner, which is at sfexaminer.com. And the, the coalition on homelessness does a lot of really important work. So I recommend that folks check them out. And also, uh, for the folks who sell the street sheet to, um, to please, uh, buy a street sheet from folks if you're able to. And also they're now accepting Venmo. I'm going to, let me see if I can scroll down and find the info now. So if you don't have any cash on you, you can still buy a street sheet and support that paper. This might take me a moment as I scroll down to, to find it. Hmm. Let's see here. This might take me just a moment as we are 
going down. I forget the exact day that it was posted, but it's wanting to provide uh, information for folks as well. It's another way to, to support people. And coming up next, I will read the story about uh, how uh, more U.S. workers went on strike in 2018 than in any year in three decades. So that's from Democracy Now! And also uh, Vox also wrote an article about that. So here we go. From Street Sheet, which you can follow on Facebook as well. Don't carry cash? No problem. You can now buy Street Sheets from select vendors using Venmo. Simply pay at street-sheet and type the vendor's full name and ID number in the what what's it for field. I'm also going to share this link right now on our Facebook page so folks have a visual representation of it as well. If you want to copy and share it with your networks as well. Uh, it's one, one way to support people as well. So we've now shared that. Again, if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. Time for some plugs. Uh, Mutiny Radio, it's a great place. We have shows here every day of the week. There's a lot of great programming, original programming here. If you do music, comedy, news, politics, kids have a show, lots of great shows here. And if you're interested in doing a show of your own, there are spots available. So if you check out mutinyradio.fm, you can find an open slot and do a show here of your own. It just requires a little bit of training, and you pay monthly dues, and you get to have a show here of your own. We've got some equipment here for folks to use. Also, if you're interested in renting the space on a weekend or some certain nights, uh, you're welcome to do so as well. So feel free to email Pam, who's a station director here, and get in touch with her about renting the space. Also, we have the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through the 5th. Uh, for the full schedule, check out mutinyradio.fm. And next Friday on the show, I'll uh, be hosting a couple of comedians uh, who thought my show sounded like a cool one to be on. So we'll be meeting them for the first time and hearing what they have to say. So please do stay tuned for that. If you'd like to donate money directly to Mutiny Radio, we have a jar here that folks can donate to when you come in. Also, if we can also donate online at mutinyradio.fm. And if you'd like to support this particular show, that'd be super helpful. If you go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev, W-E-E-K-L-Y-R-E-V. You can also donate on a monthly basis. A uh, big thank you to all the folks who donate. It means a lot to me. It helps cover dues. So uh, it just, it it's really means a lot to me. So thank you to all the folks out there who donate, um, folks who listen, get the word out. I feel like there are so many different ways we can make the world a better place. And so many folks are already doing that. And there's, there is a lot of systemic things to fight against. And at the same time, there's a lot of folks doing really important work and sharing information, having really important important conversations and wanting to really enact the type of world we all deserve to live in. So sending lots of love and gratitude out there to all these, all the folks out there. Getting to the, uh, one of the articles I'd mentioned earlier, there's a couple different versions of it. This one comes from Vox, Vox.com. A record number of U.S. workers went on strike in 2018. Working class Americans haven't been this fed up with their employers since the 1980s. And I would imagine, I think a lot of us have been fed up for a long time. However, I think the way that we organize and show up, I think, is, is super important. And this was written by Alexia Fernandez-Campbell. Uh, and you can f uh, follow her at, at Alexia Campbell on Twitter. And this came out on February 13th of this year. Last year's labor unrest started with a teacher strike in West Virginia and ended with Marriott, work Marriott workers picketing across four states. A record number of U.S. workers went on strike or stopped working in 2018 because of labor disputes with employers, according to new data released Tuesday by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. A total of 485,000 employees were involved in major work stoppages last year, the highest number since 1986 when flight attendants, garbage collectors, and steel workers walked off the job. The 
increasing number of workers involved in labor strikes suggests that average Americans are not experiencing the quote-unquote economic miracle that President Fuckface, my words, not the words in the article, uh, have descri- has described. They see the economy expanding and profits growing, but this doesn't extend to their paychecks. Frustrated public school teachers were behind the year's largest walkouts, but hotel housekeepers and steel workers also organized strikes that lasted for days. Working-class Americans haven't been this fed up with their employers since the 1980s, as this chart shows. And they have a chart. Um, I will do my best to describe the chart to listeners out there. You can also check out the article at Fox.com. And we've also, I believe we've shared this on our weekly review webpage. If not, I'll share it again right now. So, so folks, if you are listening in uh, as as I read, I, then the chart is actually in the, in the, it's the photo included with the article, which is super helpful. I get frustrated. I get frustrated by certain, a lot of things. Okay. To be honest, one thing I get really frustrated by is if I share an article and the article might be about a politician or about a policy and the photo accompanying the article is a photo of said politician who makes my blood boil. And it's really frustrating to have to share this person's face over and over and over again. And so I appreciate it when there's graphs uh, and information like that that is included with the article. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, also like us. It's, you know, click the like button. I post more articles on there than I get to on the show. So if you would like to stay up to date with certain news, like us on Facebook. Great. So this chart, which I'm going to do my best to describe, is annual work stoppages involving 1,000 or more workers from 1947 to 2018. Uh, included are the number of work stoppages, the number of days idle, and the number of workers involved. On the vertical axis, it's the numbers going up to 3 million, uh, down to zero. And on the horizontal axis, it's the year. So starting from 1947, and then every every seven or every 10 years on the seven. So 47, 57, 67, et cetera, up to 2017. And we can see in the uh, 47 between 47 and 57, there are quite a few. A little bit lower between 67 and 77, but still quite a bit. And then really. Um, from 87 to 97, very few, uh, even fewer from 97 to 2007, and then low from 2000 to 2017, and then there's a spike going back up. To be clear, in the article it says, uh, to be clear, not all four, and also it's from the U.S. Department of Labor are the folks who provided this chart. To be clear, not all 485,000 workers involved in the stoppages were on strike. That number includes people who couldn't work because employers temporarily shut down operations during the walkouts. It also includes lockouts in which an employer refuses to let workers do their jobs when they are involved in a contract dispute. But nearly all of the 20 major work stoppages in 2018 involved massive labor strikes, which ended up boosting wages for thousands of workers. And... Excuse me. Public school teachers fueled a lot of the resistance. Here are the four largest strikes of the year based on workdays missed and number of employees involved. All right. First, we have the Arizona teacher strike. Arizona, excuse me, I'm burping a lot. Uh, maybe that's TMI. Probably not TMI. It's a human function. It's happening. I'm just letting the listeners know what's, since I don't have a camera here and you can't see what's happening, that's what's happening. The Arizona teacher strike. Arizona teachers organized the largest walkout of the year last April. About 81,000 teachers and school staff didn't work for six days, adding up to a total of 486,000 lost days of work, according to the new data. 
teachers in the state were protesting low pay and cuts to public education funding. Like the teachers who went on strike in West Virginia and Oklahoma, teachers in Arizona are among the lowest paid in the country and have suffered some of the deepest cuts to public school funding, largely a result of steep Republican tax cuts that didn't bring the promised economic windfall. Nearly all of the state's 2,000-plus schools closed during the walkout. The state's teachers returned to class on May 4th after the state legislature gave them a 20% salary raise over three years and some extra funding for public education. Teachers didn't get everything they wanted, though. They had asked legislators to raise business and income taxes on wealthy, Arizonans to, rescore, Arizonans to restore cuts to public education, and boost anemic teacher salaries. Republicans gave in to some of the demands for more funding, but they're not paying for the salary hike with new taxes on the wealthy. Fuck them. That's my comment, not part of the article. Oh, there's my, I sigh, I groan, it's necessary. Instead, the legislature passed a fee on motorists and shifted most of the cost of desegregating schools from the state to tax payers in low-income school districts. Those levies will largely hit working and middle-class households. <sighs> Arizona teachers were inspired to go on strike after watching teachers in Oklahoma demand higher pay earlier that month. Next up, the Oklahoma teacher strike. Oklahoma educators organized the second largest strike of 2018 back in April. About 45,000 school teachers and staff refused to go to work for nine days, adding up to a total of 405,000 lost days of work. Oklahoma's teachers were rebelling against years of deep cuts to education that have left 20% of public schools on a four-day week schedule, an average teacher salary that ranked 49th lowest in the country. Teachers in Oklahoma demanded $3.3 billion over the next three years for school funding, benefits, and pay raises for all public employees. Many state employees joined the strike as well. They rallied for days at the Capitol in Oklahoma City, prompting nearly half of the state's 500-plus school districts to shut down. The schools that closed serve about 75% of the state's students. Nine days later, the teachers' union returned to work. They got $479 million in extra school funding from state lawmakers, including raises, a fraction of what they wanted. <sighs> Next, the West Virginia teacher strike. Teachers in West Virginia launched the first major strike of the year in February. A total of 35,000 educators and school staff didn't go to work during the stoppage, adding up to a total of 318,600 lost workdays. Teachers in the state hadn't gotten an across-the-board salary raise since 2014 and were among the lowest-paid teachers in the country. The average teacher salary in the state was $44,701 in 2016, according to the National Education Association, ranking West Virginia 48th in the nation in average teacher salaries. Lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, have been cutting corporate and business taxes for more than a decade. As a result, public schools have been losing millions of dollars each year in state money, which is the main source of funding for local schools, followed by local property taxes. The amount of money the state of West Virginia now spends on each student is 11.4% lower than it was before the economy tanked in 2008. So, West Virginia teachers went on strike, shutting down all public schools in the state for nine days. The walkout ended after the governor and state leaders agreed to give teachers what they wanted, a 5% raise and a hold on increasing health insurance premiums. 
And finally, we have the Marriott Workers' Strike. The largest hotel strike in U.S. history happened back in October when 6,000 Marriott employees in four states refused to go to work until the company agreed to give them a raise and increase their benefits. By the end of the two-month strike, a total of 215,900 workdays were lost. In December, about 2,500 striking hotel workers in San Francisco ratified a new contract with the hotel chain after months of tense negotiations, according to their labor union, Unite Here. It was the final deal reached during the stoppage, which had spread to 23 Marriott hotels in eight cities. Hotel housekeepers, bartenders, and other staff grew frustrated with Marriott over the summer after the labor contracts for about 12,000 workers started to expire. They were trying to negotiate better contracts to replace the five-year contracts that were ending, but progress was slow. By September, negotiations with the company had stalled, and workers across the country voted to authorize a strike. On Labor Day, police arrested 75 Marriott employees for blocking the street as they protested outside the Weston St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. The strikes came at a time when the company was making record earnings. In recent years, Marriott International has grown into one of the largest and most profitable hotel chains in the world. After buying Starwood Hotels in 2016, the company now runs more than 6,500 properties, including the Ritz-Carlton, Sheraton, and Renaissance Hotels. The company is valued at about $49.4 billion, nearly double the value of Hilton, according to Forbes, and made $3.2 billion in profits in 2017 alone. The hotel chain's workers wanted a larger share of that revenue. They argued that servers' and housekeepers' low wages, which vary by city, make it impossible to live in some of the nation's most expensive cities. They also asked the company to ease strenuous workloads that often lead to injuries and for more protection against sexual harassment and violence. The new union contracts vary by city, but in San Francisco, housekeepers got a $4 hourly raise for over the next four years. Right now, their median hourly wage is $23, according to the New York Times. Retiring employees will also get a small pension based on how many years they've worked at the company. Marriott also agreed to provide GPS-enabled panic buttons for housekeepers to alert security staff if a guest makes them feel unsafe while they're cleaning a room. The new contracts ended months of loud, heated protests outside of America's most iconic Marriott-owned hotels. The trend isn't slowing down. There are no signs of that worker angst has subsided. So far in 2019, teachers in two major cities have launched their own strikes, and I'm going to add three to that. Uh, in January, uh, Los Angeles uh, public, public school teachers ended a strike that shut down the nation's second largest school district for more than a week. As part of their deal with city officials, teachers agreed to a 6% raise and slightly fewer students in each classroom, according to Alex Caputo-Pearl, president of United Teachers Los Angeles, a labor union that represents about 34,000 public school teachers, nurses, librarians, and support staff in the city. And more than 2,000 teachers in Denver are on strike right now. Uh, and this was when the article was written. Now, I believe the strike, strike is over. Uh, educators want the school district to overhaul the compensation system, which relies heavily on bonuses that fluctuate wildly from year to year. They also say 
the their base salaries are too low for Denver's high cost of living and aren't keeping up with pay in neighboring districts, they've pointed out that the district has way more administrators than other districts of similar size, which eats into the school budget. If 2018 is any indication, there's a good chance that these new strikes are just the beginning. And of course, as we heard earlier in the program today, also the Oakland teachers are, all, are all also on strikes. They're sending lots of love and solidarity to them as well. Whew. I'm going to take a break and rest my voice for a moment. When we come back, we'll have some more news for you. And here we have uh, another song from Yuna, Live Your Life. We'll be back in a little bit, so please do stay tuned. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. Something amazing It's almost like I've been stargazing The sky is right above me We were meant for something bigger than this Don't ever try to dismiss Yourself cause you don't have to so far away and now it's like they hit a stage I hold it close to me oh, oh, oh we we're meant for something bigger than this don't ever try to dismiss yourself cause you don't have to
back to the weekly review uh there's another song from tongue you can check them out at bandcamp uh, tongue t-u-n-n-g dot bandcamp dot com this is from the album songs you make at night thanks to stefan for uh sharing that album i hadn't heard it before uh we've got a couple more things before we wrap up the show coming up next is women's magazine with global val starting at 2 p.m followed by the common thread collective at 3 p.m lots of great shows here at mutiny radio so please do come on by we've got open doors here so come on, check us out. Another story here. Ugh, deep sigh. That's from Democracy Now. We've also seen it reported in a lot of other outlets. Uh, white supremacist Coast Guard a lieutenant had his quote-unquote hit list of Democratic targets. This came out on February 21st. In Maryland, an active-duty Coast Guard lieutenant will appear in court today. Again, this is from the 21st. Uh, after being arrested last Friday, after federal investigators discovered, or excuse me, uncovered a domestic terror plot to kill high-profile liberal figures, including Democratic lawmakers, media personalities, and judges. 49-year-old Christopher Paul Hassan, a self-described white nationalist, reportedly had a stockpile of 15 guns and more than 1,000 rounds of ammunition. His hit list included House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, civil rights pioneer Angela Davis, freshman Congress members Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, uh, MSNBC host Chris Hayes, and Democratic presidential hopefuls Senators uh, Kristen Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, and Kamala Harris, among others. Hassan was reportedly inspired by the far-right Norwegian terrorist Anders Breivik, who in 2011 killed 77 people in a bomb attack and a mass shooting. In a draft email obtained by prosecutors, Hassan wrote, I'm not even going to fucking read his gross-ass fucking words, but fuck him and fuck white supremacists. Oh, fucking disgusting. And there's also, uh, there's many active duty members that think it's important for folks to remember that these are folks who are quote unquote ugh, in the, are, it's, it's super fucking disturbing. And also just recognizing that, and it's a lot to get into. If we talk about the militarization, this country's militarization, who's serving in the military and what the military does. And there are folks like this with these beliefs who are, and this is just one of them. So it's important to get the, of course, these, you know, these news stories don't make as much headway as some other news stories that, you know, have a lot of other quick clickbait to do. So it's important to get that out there. And again, this article is from a Democracy Now! and a few other news sources have also reported it. <sighs> Meanwhile, lots of anti-fascists have been able to get white supremacists fired from their jobs. So that's something else that's another... 
way of you know moving forward with fighting back against these folks <sighs> initially i wanted to end on something positive um i do have a audio clip um folks from code pink um who often uh go and they disrupt these meetings uh talk about disrupting the military industrial complex uh so Ariel Gold and Medea Benjamin are two of the folks from Code Pink who often do this. So they have tweeted, you can follow them at Code Pink, just at C-O-D-E-P-I-N-K, Code Pink. I'm going to play a little bit of audio. It's a little, little under two minutes um, from them disrupting uh, Carlos Vecchio, uh, illegitimate Venezuelan quote-unquote president Juan Guaido's envoy to the U.S. The U.S. is facilitating a coup that may very well lead to a civil war. We say no coup, no civil war, no imperialism. Hashtag hands off Venezuela. We'll hear this uh, clip. We'll play some music and then we'll, we'll wrap up the show. So uh, here we go. I want to say these people are fraud. They don't represent the Venezuelan people. They are representing the U.S. or. Ah, sorry about that. We've got a little bit of technical difficulties here. For some reason, it's created uh, coup. This is a very dangerous situation. They want to create a crisis at the border that would be a justification for U.S. intervention. This has nothing to do with a humanitarian situation. Indeed, for a humanitarian situation, the U.S. would lift the economic sa sanctions that have exacerbated the crisis. The issue at the border now is something that is politicizing humanitarian aid. That is why the Red Cross, the United Nations, and all the legitimate humanitarian groups have insisted that they will not touch this aid. What we need now is negotiations. These people here want to take Venezuela to a path of civil war and U.S. intervention. What the Venezuelan people need is negotiations mediated by Mexico, I'm almost finished, mediated by Mexico, by the Uruguayans, and by the Vatican. So let's say that if you indeed care about the people of Venezuela, you will be calling for negotiations. You will not recognize these people who are willing pawns in a Trump-orchestrated coup d'etat. Thank you for listening to the Voice of Reason. Gracias. All right, so that were that was uh, Medea Benjamin speaking from uh, Code Pink. Thank you. You can follow them at Code Pink on Twitter. Grateful for all the folks who speak truth to power. That's gonna that's gonna do it for the show today. Can play one more song, and coming up next at two p.m. is Women's Magazine with Global Val. I see lots of guests here in the studio, so looking forward to hearing this program. Stay tuned, uh, Mutiny Radio, and one more song from the band Tongue. And uh, yes, uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for all the folks out there for listening, and thanks for all you do in the world. Living life.
life inside machines This one naked as a child Golden head and running wild Playing with his guns a while Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento honestly is a wonderful place. 
They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Yeah. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Hi. 
Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. <laughs> All so, on my limited view. Yes. Every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. And Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said T- that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God. There's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I have five dollars. I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Four ninety nine.
listener, it's that time of year again, March 1st through 5th. It's time for the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, five days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, five days, amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Asiento. <laughs> Asiento. Take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink. Have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays. Taco Tuesdays. First Wednesday, live jazz. Live DJs Thursday. Parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. 
counter offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't. <laughs> anything about it sorry all on my limited view yes every tuesday from 12 to 2 uh oh you can if you can also find you ever want to be funny well my dogs think i'm funny daryl well i mean you ever want to be like in front of an audience like other than like squirrels dogs and dead persons oh shoot from time to time i've been giving it a thought of two you know if you go to joke workshop there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke workshop yep every monday 6 to 8 p.m on the mutant radius so you're saying i could tell my jokes 
every Monday from 6 to 8. That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 499. Mutiny Radio listener, it's that time of year again. March 1st through 5th, it's time for the 4th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Over 40 comics, 25 shows, 5 days, all here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street. 25 shows, 5 days, amazing comics from all over the United States here in San Francisco to entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians, bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. Is this about that VR house you keep bugging me for? What if it is? I told you, I can't afford the Bitcoin. Goodbye, Jack. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRatio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRatio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. For a burger, Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. 
Counter Offers menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offers serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's
Yeah, you're fearless. I know it. Thanks for listening to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. I'm Global Val. That was some music from Pamela Parker. You can check out what she's up to at PamelaParkerRocks.com. But we're here today. Today is Friday, March 1st. It's actually the first day of Women's Herstory Month. So uh, what better way to kick off than have uh, have someone, uh, the women's voice, uh, tell her stories um, so my, my guest today is Bernice Yee. Am I saying that right? Bernice? Yay? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Our, like a yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Bernice is in town. She is one of the visiting comedians, um, who applied to be part of the mutiny radio comedy festival, which is starting today. So we are kicking it off on, on women's magazine really, because women should always come first. Ooh, I agree. <laughs> so Bernice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're visiting from Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. The Seattle area? Is that mm-hmm. where you... Yes. Yes. I live in Seattle now. Uh, I have been living there for 12 years. Yeah. But you're originally from China. I am. So I am made in China. <laughs> made in China. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of talk about how you, you know, kind of escaped and now you're... Uh, what? I want to hear a little bit of your story of, uh, you know, how how'd you, how'd you decide I need to, I need to get out of China and, and go to the... United States. Uh huh. Because, um, so I say escape is not like I was a criminal. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Quotes, yeah, quote unquote escape. It's more of a joke, right? Yeah. yeah. But I was definitely a rebel. Um, I think um, living in China, like I got into not trouble but in a way that just like everybody is in your face trying to tell you what to what to do um and uh i think once i got exposure um to america i have always seen oh i want to be there i want to go there so a lot of time people ask me why do you come here oh my god you came here by yourself your parents your family are all in america um at the time when I came here, I I just like this is a dream. I did not miss my family. Um, good, my family didn't understand English, so they will never know this. I said that, <laughs> but I think it's in a way that I just want to be at a place to be who I am, to say what I want to say. Um, yeah, that's kind of what drove me to come here. That's really cool. Um, that and it is. It takes a lot of bravery to just say. See ya. Like, I'm going to go try this and try to make a new life for myself. Like it's, it's really takes a lot. And, um, you're, you, you also write and contribute to this, uh, kind of online magazine group, which we'll talk about a little more later called mm-hmm. the syndrome. And so I read your recent article about, you know, like basically having to be really sneaky with your boyfriends, even in, even in college, right? Yeah. Even in college. <laughs> so, so has the, uh, being, uh, deceptive uh how how's that helped in your comedy <laughs> <laughs> so um, just to kind of set a context of the deceptive or what s- sneaky means so even in college like it's okay that you have a boyfriend but you don't really let people see any public display affection right so like kissing uh-uh no you don't like and then kind of is an unspoken rule that you don't have sex for some reason i don't know nobody says you cannot but then like if you do it's a big gossip uh, like topic and so um and we don't have any privacy so in the dorm room okay so in our studio right now it's bigger than a dorm room where six of us lived oh my gosh <laughs> we live in bunk beds and we're like a whole bunch of adults right um and then like so that's the small space and if and then they lock the dorm room 
every night at 9 p.m. and they shut the lights off. That's like prison. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're shut in and you're shut out. Yeah. Right. And so, it was the most prestigious like, university in in China. It's not like a like kind of like a prison university. It's actually one of the best uh, universities. Um. So at that time, if you don't go back by 9 p.m., where are you? Mm-hmm. And gossip starts and just a lot of social pressure. Um. So the sneaky have to you have to find ways. Uh, you have to plan ahead. You may have to make a hotel reservation, but you <laughs> cannot make under like if I make a hotel reservation, it's too um, suspicious. Mm. <laughs> so you have to find a, an excuse. You have to set expectations with your roommates, saying, that, "Oh, my parents are in town," or like you have to work hard. If I kind of like, oh, I have to work at the lab all night, couldn't come back, but you must have a deadline that you set. Let everybody know already. You can't just all of a sudden have a deadline. Oh yeah, so <laughs> it takes a lot of planning to to plan a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that like comedy? It takes. Um, <laughs> in a way, I think it's more about when I create a situation. Mm. Um, like maybe there's exaggeration, maybe it's a fictional, but I have to make it believable. Mm-hmm. I have to kind of like, okay, this actually fits into my personality, fits into my, um, you know, like something I would do it's not out of character oh interesting (laughs) subtle and smart (laughs) yeah but then like you know like it's not true so um and you want to make people wonder yeah that sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) so so when how did you decide that you wanted to be a comedian and do stand-up like how and and also like how did you develop your sense of humor like have you always like just had the sense of humor and been funny or what what, how did that kind of develop for you funny that you asked that because um i invited one girlfriend that i have been friends with like 10 years and then like she came to my show and she said oh my god bernice you know five years ago you told me I'm a very serious person. I am not funny. <laughs> um, I so in a way, it's like it's not. I never, I I never thought about become a comedian. Yeah. Um, but I watched so much like Netflix. Well, actually, back off a little bit. I started watching Netflix specials when I washed my face at nighttime. Um, but it takes so long to wash my face that watch so many Netflix comedy specials, <laughs> and then I realized. That's how I think too, because I realize comedians they have they have a different perspective, they have a different point of view. And for me, I'm an outsider. You know, whether when I was in China or when I here, I always feel like I have a different perspective because of my experience. So I know in the shower, I'm always thinking about all these funny, wacky thoughts <laughs> from my experience. Um, but I just didn't think about. I can be one because English is not my first language. Um, to even be funny in the second language, I just felt like that's so hard. Um, but not until I saw Ellie Wong's first Baby Cobra special, can all of a sudden say, oh my God, the, the things she thinks is funny, that's things I think about. And then all of a sudden you do see somebody's more like you, you know, it's not a bunch of, you know, white guys talking about dick jokes. <laughs> right. Cause there's a lot of that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so to me, it's all of a sudden, I want to be like that. I actually want, I have a voice. I want to be heard. Um, so, um, I just last year I made a new year's resolution that, you know what, I'm just do, going to, um, do one open mic by the end of the year. 
um, and then I signed up for a comedy class, uh, did a graduation show. I love it and keep on doing open mic and people asked me to be on their shows and wow people want to hear about my story and my my jokes and my sense of humor yeah so you've only done comedy like actively done comedy for about a year now yeah right on (laughs) and here you are in san francisco you applied to be part of the comedy festival pam benjamin you know is like Fuck yeah, let's have Bernice A. She's great. (laughs) Um, So that that's like another like amazing success story, right? Thank you. Yeah, and I think about it just incredible. I'm so grateful uh, for the opportunity, and also in a way that also I keep telling myself. um, Fifteen years ago when I came, I don't, I didn't speak English. I didn't. I didn't know how to order a sandwich from Subway. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing too. Like so. I, I, I teach English as a second language. That's that's my day job, you know. <laughs> the, here on Mutiny Radio, you know, this is this is my 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 fun, my passion, you know, to talk to people and be inspired and and hear people's voices and stories. But you know, so I teach English, so I know how hard it is. To I mean, English itself is a really hard language and Mm -hmm. there's so many little things, little nuances and expressions. So how did you learn English? (laughs) Um, So I guess there's, um, it's funny because um, when I came, I, we learned little English, um, like in school, in high school. And what they taught us is British English, but of course it's taught by a Chinese teacher. So basically is, British pronunciation with Chinese accent. <laughs> what does that sound like? Uh, um, looking forward to meet you. I, I cannot really do it quite right, but you know, like... You, you've evolved past that. Yeah. And then there's like, I would say tomato or how do you do um, some basic phrases. Um, and then the funny thing is in the... So, oh, when I first came here, I went to Purdue for um, graduate school to study computer science. Okay. Um, so in the school, there are inter- other international students. I remember I went to this like international student like dance party, and there's this English guy. And you know, when I say tomato, and he's like, "Oh my God, where did you come from?" <laughs> and <laughs> so I think you know, I kind of I instantly clicked, and I you know I um so we actually started dating. Uh, so I think having somebody who speak English um, that clicked with you and then like we speak more English that definitely helped Um, but also the funny thing is because I had a roommate she was Chinese we were from the same hometown but because our um, you know like our schedules are different um, so she always complained to the other Chinese um, students about I disturb her sleep <laughs> so m- my boyfriend at the time did not like that right so one time um, I, we have the English as a second language t- training for teaching assistant so we're teaching assistant oh right yeah. you're, you're, in, you're in a graduate pr- program yeah exactly oh, wow. so then okay. one of the assignment is like um, you know come up with a phase a phrase that sounds dif- like the meaning is different than the um, original how the words read Mm-hmm. And then so she asked me and my boyfriend, um, they, and then the, the boyfriend gives a um, blowjob. 
<laughs> it's so mean but she didn't know I didn't know so I actually didn't know and then so she went to the class and she gave the phrase blow job and then <laughs> everybody just had the face palm and she was so embarrassed and she was pissed right so that started the war with me and the rest of the Chinese students oh no they disowned me oh no they blamed you <laughs> they blamed me so so I kind of I was being isolated from the rest of the Chinese student mm-hmm. but in a way that kind of pushed me all right I'm going to make friends with international students with my American friends they, they were really really nice to me um, so that's kind of but in the meantime like as I ask question I'm just like um, you know at this point I came here I'm just going to be shameless and ask questions um, so I asked anything that I don't understand and my friends got a little impatient oh urban dictionary but it's incredible. Urban Dictionary is like the, I don't know, that's kind of where I learned most of my English. <laughs> um. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because, you know, like like students that I have now, they're yeah. like, I really want to improve my English. And like other teachers will say, you know, date somebody, you know, <laughs> like, go meet up with people. I always tell them that they should, um, <laughs> I always tell them a couple things. I'm like, you should go to a place where people are speaking English and just pretend like you're doing something else and just listen to their conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but also I, I tell them, I was like, go and ask somebody a question that you already know the answer to, because then if you, you just practice asking the question and the answer is not important. Oh, because then you can hear like somebody tell you like, oh, go down that way and, you know, go straight ahead or go down this street, you know, like a little directions things like everybody has a map now. Everybody's using Google Maps or mm-hmm. whatever. But, you know, I'm like, just go ask a question. But you already know the answer. That's so smart. I wish I knew that tip back then <laughs> <laughs> because I would be in conversation with my friend. And um, um, sometimes I just really got lost. And it's a uh, it's hard. I just I want to go home. But I just like, OK, stay with it. And a lot of time I actually really did not know what they were talking about but even picking up something like i it's helpful um you took a long time <laughs> so uh, so you did you finish purdue or did you change schools how did you decide to to stay and how did you end up in seattle mm, um i was in the phd program so oh, wow. um i did not finish that so i was a i am a phd dropout but i um i once I remember, so in the middle, um, you can get a master's degree in between. And uh, I was applying for internship for the summer for Microsoft. And at the interview, my interviewer actually said, you know, you should also check that box for full time because it's the interview is actually easier. The reason his rationale was, um, you know, for intern, you only have three months. So we want to make sure the interview you can you can really deliver and then um, for three months period of time. But for time, we look more for potential. Mm. Um, so I checked that box. Um, they flew me to, you know, Seattle. I had they actually even did like an interview boot camp to teach you how to do interview. But the position I applied for was the program management. Um, and then they definitely want your English to be better. Um, so I actually ended up didn't get a job. But from my background, they referred me to a different group, which is Xbox. And they actually flew me back again. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I um, and I got that job. So um, then I got to face the decision. And it's a full-time position, wow. right? So do I just quit at this point and go to Seattle? Or do I continue to do PhD? Um, and then the time, I just feel like I, I want to get out of Indiana. Um, I, I can. <laughs> Microsoft seems to be a, a good 
place to start my work. And so I, um, yeah, I quit PhD. I got my master's degree and I moved to Seattle. Wow. So Indiana and Seattle. So those are the two places that you've actually lived in the U.S. Or, yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm, do you prefer Seattle? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've actually never been to Seattle, but I imagine it to be a pretty cool place. I've definitely never been to Indiana. I'm from California. So like when we think about other states, we're like, they're over there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, seriously, even though I like, you know, kind of educated and stuff, but, uh, it's always like well, Indiana. It's a, I, I think I could find it on a map maybe. Um, sorry, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> but you've been to San Francisco before. This is not your first rodeo in San Francisco. Uh, no, a lot. I've been here a lot san francisco is one of my favorite cities um and uh, i love it so much that I almost almost moved here but uh, well actually s- just to say how serious i was i got a job that's why my cell phone is a 650 samuel tail eric oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know i actually moved out of my um my place i got all packed up ready i got a job offer they gave me a relocation fee and uh so i started looking for apartment but it was so hard to look for a place in San Francisco. Before I find a place, the company went bankrupt. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I- <laughs> Great timing, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, and also because the job I was doing, um, that required me to travel a lot. So I wasn't able to just like spend two weeks in San Francisco, look for apartment. I was never really here. Mm-hmm. And I learned the hard way that if you go to Craigslist, you say, hey, I'm interested in your apartment, nobody replies. Right? They don't mm. give a. <laughs> can I swear on the. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think they do this open house thing with like 20 people lined up with applications, and I wasn't able to do that. So um, it, I just never found an apartment. Um, and then there's other reasons, like um, for a Chinese uh, citizen. Um, if you want to go to any other country, you need a tourist visa. And uh, if I live in Seattle, we don't have consulate. So um, the nearest place is San Francisco. So I come to San Francisco a lot of times is because I need to apply for a tourist visa. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also I dance Argentine tango. And um, um, this is uh, San Francisco is one of the city like the best place to dance Argentina there's a lot of great dancers here and there are a lot of more leaders um, in any other city in the US I, I hope this is almost right um, there are way more followers than leaders and San Francisco is the only place have more leaders Wow so where, where do you do Argentine tango here like um, some of your favorite spots I haven't been back here uh, for a while but I know we went I went to um, Berkeley they have this all-nighter thing you dance all night until 6 a.m um, we do San Francisco Tango Marathon um, in November oh, every wow. November there's a Tango Marathon it's like dance until you drop uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's actually might be close to the mission you might not be far um, but my area is a little bit like um like my memory is a little bit uh, rough right now so that's okay because you just came back into town last night Mm -hmm. i actually i think i know someone who does the goes to the berkeley tango oh um she's like a substitute teacher at our school but she's probably in her 70s but she has more energy than like anybody else that I work with we're always like what's your secret and she's like I go dancing three nights a week yeah (laughs) 
But you're actually, we're here at Mutiny Radio. We're here in the Mission District of San Francisco. And so you're going to be performing tonight as part of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival at the mm-hmm. All Ladies Show tonight at 10 p.m. So excited. But then you're going to be like a guest DJ here on Monday at noon doing some Argentine tango, right? Yes. Um, so I have um, three lovely ladies who also love dancing Argentine tango. They're here in San Francisco. So they're going to be my special guests. Um, so, you know, we're going to talk about what is really Argentine tango, debunk some very um, popular uh, misconceptions about Argentine tango. We're going to share some of our personal stories about uh, some of our struggles and, and funny and embarrassing moments. Um, and then, you know, for example, there's something specific about San Francisco. In the tango community, we call it Man Francisco. <laughs> Man Francisco? <laughs> <laughs> kind of related to like why there are so many leaders. Um, you know, of course, we now that women can lead, the choir tango is very popular. So it's all, all gender, all inclusive, but there's just a lot of more men in general in this area. And then we also call it babe area. So it's a <laughs> bay area. <laughs> Cause like, you know, like all the, all the, um, dancers here, like we're all babes, you know, we, cause there's so many guys lined up, want to dance with. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Every, everyone's dance card is full, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let's take a little musical break. Mm-hmm. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you about, um, your experiences in this past year doing comedy, being a female comedian, and then some of your work with the, the syndrome, mm-hmm. which sounds really cool. So everyone, you're listening to women's magazine here on mutinyradio.fm. This is a special part of the fourth annual mutiny radio comedy festival that's happening March 1st. That's today through March 5th. So there's 50 comics, 26 shows, five days. Shows are 10 bucks a piece. Go on our, our website, mutinyradio.fm. You can find the, the uh, festival page and see all the different amazing uh, topics of the different shows, different themes um, that you can get in on and have a good time with. So I'm going to play a little music from this uh, a local artist. Her name's Renee Asteria. And this is called illegal Better pick up 
You are listening to Women's Magazine here on MutinyRadio.fm. We are streaming live around the planet from the Mission District of San Francisco, right here in the corner of 21st and Florida. We are kicking off the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival running today, March 1st through March 5th, um, with Bernice Ye, who is in town visiting from the Seattle, Washington area, um, and is going to be part of tonight's uh, big showcase at 10 p.m., the All Ladies Comedy uh, uh, lineup, um, and also a couple different shows uh, throughout the festival, which we can talk about. You know, we'll run through them towards the end and make sure people know when they could come in and, and catch you live uh, in the act. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk to you. This is Women's Magazine, so we want to talk about what it's like being a female comedian. Um, wow, yeah, um, it's uh, definitely very, very intimidating because um, I remember when I first showed up to my very first open mic, um, before um, the venue opened, people line up and people show up and it's like everybody, I mean, in, in Seattle, we're already very white, so it's, everyone is a white dude. <laughs> and then so I feel like this is even worse than my, you know, computer science um, graduate school, you know, 10 years ago. You know, it, I was maybe one of the girls of the 40 students, but at least I know computer science. But, you know, for comedy, I am new. Nobody knows me. Um, and then, you know, like, but everybody else know each other. So I feel definitely just being judged immediately. And then nobody came to really say hi and introduce myself. And then when I reach out to say hi, it's just this very awkward interaction. You just feel like, okay, I should go now. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking that they, 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 they may just be naturally awkward a little bit. And they're probably like, who's that pretty lady? You know, like, I don't know how to talk to her. Is she going to be funnier than me? Oh my God, my ego. Um, so, but you did it. You jumped up and, and did comedy stand up for the first time. And, um, you actually sent me, I think you sent me the video of that and you were funny. Like people responded. You were like 
successful in your first go. Oh, thank you, thank you. It definitely takes a lot of work. The, the video you saw is that's um, you know um, November, so that's probably nine months into the time. I've definitely had a time when when I had to open my like, oh, I just want to find a place to hide. Um, so it it takes a lot of work. And I also have to say, in my very first few open mic, I remember one time I go to this place called um, Comedy Underground. I showed up. I have no idea how that mic works, and there's a bunch of dudes line up. But one lady, um, her name is uh, Chelsea Toll. If she ever listened to this, that's when we first met. And she's like, "Oh, I just moved here. Ladies got to watch out for each other." And she said, "Take this." She gave me two dollars because the at the club, if you dropping two dollars a donation, you have a higher chance to get on the list. Oh wow! So okay. like it, it, that's so helpful to have somebody to give a newbie a tip to like, and it's like somebody should tell, no, we, we got each other, and I feel like that really meant a lot to me. Um, and the same day, the open mic, I went up. Actually, I guess I was actually funny that day, even though that's my like first open mic. And then another lady, uh, her name is Aisha, and she reached out to me and said, "Hey, you're funny. You should come out to this open mic. I am." Pretty producing uh, it's called comedy nest um it is a female focused uh, uh, comedy open mic you should come so you know like i feel like there's people really helped me and embrace and gave me that courage to uh, keep going even though i was very intimidated that's excellent and that's up in seattle right yeah yeah H- how cool so you're also working uh, now now you've kind of even like taking this further um, with this group that you're working with called the syndrome. Mm -hmm. So tell us about the syndrome. How did you connect with them and what are some of the different things that, that this group does? Sure. I mean, guess how they found me. Ah, they found you at open mic. Ah, they were scouting. <laughs> so, um, I, actually, our uh, one of our editor, um, um, Betsy Hunt, and she uh, went to. She also took a comedy class from one of the comedy um, club that's doing open mic. So I was there at open mic. They sh- they were in the audience. I did not know. Um, I come back down and she just sneak a, a card and said, "Hey, I work at this magazine. Talk to me." She disappeared. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I emailed her back and a follow up, and then they were like, "Oh, we really like your stuff." Um, what if you know get on a call we see if you want to be a writer on our central magazine and that's how we get connected to each other and when they told me the story of the central magazine I was like wow this is amazing because the the magazine wasn't started in the U.S. they actually started in Italy Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then like when they started, the, the vision is just like, you know, we want to talk about women, talk about gender equality, t- talk about women's rights um, f- through humor. Yeah, because that's probably the best way to get people to 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 reckon, you know, reconcile and understand a different perspective. And then the magazine took off in Europe. Like actually, um, they, they encountered the success that more than they anticipated. Wow. And yeah. when, when was that? Um, like, how long have they been around? Do you know? They have been, I have to look because like, I feel I cannot. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm asking bad questions right now. <laughs> no, no, no worries. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I know it has been around a few years and our founder in the Seattle chapter, uh, Sylvia, and she um, was born and raised in Italy. She moved to Seattle area and she wants to bring that to to Seattle so that's how we um, started the US chapter yeah awesome yeah so if you guys are out there listening the syndrome mag.com or you can find them on Facebook too and Instagram I'm sure so all, all over the place this multimedia social media world um, but that's really cool because I feel like 
when you have the the topic of whether you want to call it feminism or just to like you know address um gender inequality um it can be a really hard subject for people to talk about because they can they can be very serious Mm -hmm. they can be very emotional it can kind of turn people off you know they're like oh you know whatever people you know women complaining again you know but like to do it in a humoristic like a like in a funny way like kind of like cuts through some of that, like, Oh, we don't have to be so serious to really address some real things that are going on. Yeah. Cause you don't want to turn a topic into tabooed, right? Like I think how many times we, we have to take that sexual harassment training video at work, you are obligated to watch it. But then like in the end, you just like, okay, I'd better not talk about this now. But on the contrary, um, I'm going to quote, uh, Sarah Silverman. Cause she mentioned, uh, she said, if it's mentionable, it is manageable mm. i think i found that just so inspiring it's like yeah if you want to manage you got to talk about it like you any issues the worst is you just hold it like inside and you don't talk about it and i think the humor opens that like that channel opens the conversation uh, instead of just shutting down oh, let's just be serious let's just hide to walk away from the topic yeah, so the so the Syndrome Mag, which is an online magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's also a group that's it's it's a nonprofit, and you're b- basically part of a, a group of consultants, right? Like mm-hmm. like like people who who are affiliated with the Syndrome will actually go into workplaces and do like comedic skits to like point the stuff out this have you is, been yeah. a part of that yeah a little bit like so um this is a new initiative we started um so we want to work with because there are so many tech companies in seattle i'm sure there's way more in san francisco bay area yeah same same <laughs> um so the the idea is instead of just like watching those tr- videos and so we actually collaborate with the company to see you know to learn a little bit about their culture what people's you know minds is and then we write comedy skits sketch scenario sketch and then we hire um professional actor actress to act it out and so in the audience you're like watching so oh yeah that happens and but you are able to see how this whole thing played out um i persist I participated in some of the comedy sketch writing scenario because some of them were just like you know I was like I lived through that right like yeah. I'm one of the women in tech um so you know even for example, going to a conference, you just got hundreds of men, you got like three women there. Like eating lunch, you got the guys sitting on that side and then you feel like, even for the woman it's awkward. Three people, you just feel like we're obligated to say hi to each other. And you go to the bathroom like, there's just two of you <laughs> and I say a line of men, you know? So there are some scenarios that everybody, they understand, but they like, I think in the more zoomed in story, you see the internal state and you see how awkward for that person is. And, um, you know, we also, for example, at in a meeting, right? Like, you know, how women being cut off or then all of a sudden we have the woman to wear a different mask of like with a mustache and then like same voice to say, it just, you hear it very, very differently. Um, <laughs> that I love that. I think that's such a great way to to point stuff out. Because, mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, those dry like you must watch the sexual harassment video, and of course they make things in those like really obvious, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, usually, but the subtle things are what. It's like, I think it's coming out more and more about the subtleties and, and the things that people aren't even like, you know, paying attention to or aware of. They think, you know, they, they don't even think about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's funny when you talk about the, the men's room and the ladies room. So my, my 
uh, my little funny story about that is many years ago now I was working for a catering company. So I was, mm-hmm. I was bartending at an event here in San Francisco and it was apples, um, like annual, uh, employee appreciation party. Right. So it's this big, like kind of outdoor park mm-hmm. down downtown. And, um, I mean, it was like thousands of men, thousands and thousands of men. And all of the drinks were free, Mm. right? It was just like, it was employee appreciation. So we were literally standing there. We had this huge bar with eight bartenders and these guys would stand like, like 10 feet away and like, look at us and and so awkwardly. And we're like, come on, like, come on. It's okay. Like, come get a beer, you know? And, and. It was, it was kind of a lame party anyway, because like they wouldn't, they wouldn't like let us put a tip jar out. Like they didn't want them to like think that they had to like any more pressure. I'm like, okay, I get why they didn't want to pressure them anymore. Cause it was very socially awkward I saw three women that night out of like probably like 3000 men. Mm-hmm. And one of them was definitely somebody's girlfriend, you know? <laughs> so I actually made a friend that night. There was a, another person who was bartending that night and we left at the same time. And, uh, we went to the, to the bathrooms and we saw this big line of men. Yes. And so we heckled them in line. We're like, now, you know what it's like, (laughs) you get the treatment now. And then we got to the women's room and there was a security guard there saying, I'm sorry, you can't go in. And we're like, what "What do you mean? And they're like, well, we had to let some men into the, to the women's room. We're like, Oh no, 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 no. We're going in. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen the other way around. That's right. They don't open the men's room for the ladies who are waiting there. So it was, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) You go girl. (laughs) Yes. It's one time. No, you're not taking that away from us. Right. (laughs) That's right. I don't care if there's men in there. We're going to the bathroom, the ladies room, you know? And of course that was before they even like the whole, like, you know, all gender bathroom conversation was, was even in play. But, uh, it was just, yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, so seeing that played <laughs> out, right, and it remind them, like, let's look at this moment all together, and then they can talk about it afterwards. I think, actually, you know, it's a different approach. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're writing sketches for them. Sometimes you're participating in the sketches, uh, but you're writing for the, the magazine part. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to talk a little bit about some of the topics that you've written about? Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, in um, I started. What is my first about chopsticks? <laughs> oh, I guess maybe uh, I think it's just me being. A, I feel like outsider. Sometimes I'm not necessarily kind of have the sense of belonging. Just just my experience are different. Um, so I kind of want to bring in explain stereotype and challenge how you look at the stereotypes right so i think there are things like i don't fit into the stereotype and there are things like people expect out of me um, i don't do that but there's also i think the stereotypes are there for a reason i want people to look at something that's not so foreign because hey i came to this country i don't know anything of course i'm going to look very clueless but if you go to china you would be right <laughs> so i kind of want you kind of break that you know share a different perspective Um, The first bit I talk about is how I don't really know how to hold my chopsticks. <laughs> As a Chinese, you're kind of expected to know. Um, and uh, the thing is, um, I kind of, 
I hold my chopsticks, I can use it, but I hold it like a pencil. Like, I don't know how to do the chopstick wrapper instruction thing. Like, most of the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> most of the Americans are masters of it, but I'm, but then it's not just me. Most of the, the natural, like, a native-born Chinese people hold the same way. So, there's, like, you know, times, like, I go to a restaurant with, like, 10 other Chinese people, and with my white boyfriend. He's the only one. He's teaching everybody how to use chopsticks. <laughs> it's hilarious, you know? But then, like, I, I would just got me think why why is that right and then I realized we have to learn how to use traps and we were so young our hands are so little I can't figure out there's no way I can use it the, the, the official way and so we all were forced to figure out one way or another mm-hmm. um, and then um, you know but then like our parents are different they they just use their hands when they're a little. So they learn as adult as well. Because like China was so poor, you're just fighting, you're just grabbing food. <laughs> so those are the things, that, you know, it, I think that's my kind of my first piece, um, not to give everything. Right. Um, and then the second one is actually personal, uh, it matters a lot to me, is about like uh, uh, Asian eyes, small Asian eyes. And then I think um, if you were born and raised in Asia, like you know, this Asians are obsessed with this double double eyelid. You're nodding. Yeah, no, I know. I had to learn when I started teaching English. They're like, "Do you have one single eyelid or double eyelid?" And I had to be like, "What?" Like <laughs> just even the term, you know. But I know what you mean. It's like having the like crease on your eye. Right. right? The- yeah. Yeah. So we're very, very obsessed with that, and then so um, plastic surgery to do that is very, very popular. And then to a point, it's really like. Um, your parents were like, oh, you, if you want to find a job, you need that. You mm. need that. So girls were almost expected, like, when you're done with high school, that's when you get it. Uh- <laughs> well, there's a lot of that in Southern California, too, like, like given, like, oh, congratulations, you graduated from high school. You get your, you get your boob job. You get your nose job. And you're like, you're eight. This is an 18-year-old girl. Like, yeah. Why are you like totally transforming your body in some way that's like permanent? Yeah. Know? Yeah. And also like growing up, my entire family always like, oh, you're so smart, but your eyes are so small. <laughs> so, you know, they were nice. just <laughs> shaming like yeah. the small eye from the very early on. Mm-hmm. But I actually, I was just like always freaked out about that. I was also kind of very self-conscious about my eyes. So I figured, oh, what if I wear glasses? Because my mom was, oh, your eyes will might look a little better with glasses. So I came up with this idea. I said, oh, you know, I need to wear glasses. I'm going to pretend, or I am a good student, but I'm a good student. And I'm, of course, I'm nearsighted, right? So I told my... <laughs> the, the classic nerd kind of look, right? Right. Like... So I told my mom, I can't see, I cannot read the, the, the chalkboard. Like, you you have to take me to see a doctor. And then so at the, at the prescription, they do this, like, computerized the prescription test and my eyes were fine oh. and I said no 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 so like when they do the menu test I just pretend I can't see anything <laughs> I just add on add on I got wow. the thickest prescription oh ever God. I got like a 400 right like is it next to 400 or 4.0 yeah 4.0 yeah, yeah. 4.0 so like as a little kid I have perfect vision I was wearing this like glasses every day oh my god <laughs> <laughs> it's part of that that keenly applied deception right to, yeah. to make things work. Right. Yeah, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> so what what is your family 
think of this? Like, do they know how much, like, do they know about your comedy, your budding comedy career? Like, what do you tell them about your life now? <laughs> it's hard because there's no stand-up comedy in China. Um, it's a, uh, cause you know, think about the topic and things we really talk about. Mm. Like you don't, you, you don't talk about stand-up comedy. Um, I think there's comedy sketches in, in China. So usually you have two characters. They talk about the kind of funny scenarios, but never it's about issues, racy, edgy opinions that I think it's not about to evoke mm-hmm. thoughts. It's never about that. Um, but my mom, um, I think she she's proud. Like my parents are proud of me for doing this. Um, they don't really know exactly. Cause I want to share a video with my parents. I can't even share that because um, if sending Google a video like okay. Google Photo, YouTube is all blocked in China. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. cannot see it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult. Like, you know, for stand up comedy, they don't understand English. So I kind of send um, little clips through WeChat that's very popular for ch- their own messenger. Interesting. So they can get a sense of what looks like if there's a crowd sharing, laughing there. Oh, okay, they like her. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, I'm but they cannot you... understand. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that, sometimes that's okay, right? It's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, wow. So you're really, you're really, breaking down a lot of barriers um i'm just i'm so glad that you're here and that we get to be you know here on the show today on women's magazine um do you have any uh advice for women out there girls whatever uh who want to do stand-up comedy um i i will say like i think um now like believe believe in yourself um because a lot of times people told me like um Oh yeah, no, you gotta pay your dues, and then you have at least you gotta suck for the first five or ten years, and don't even ask to be th- this opportunity. But I think you know, just be bold, and, and um, you never know. Don't let what pre-exists to stop you. What you think you can do, um, because if I were to do that, I would not even apply for Mutiny Radio Festival. But who is to say so? I cannot be on it. I have to first make the move. And then let them decide. So um, that's definitely something I will say. <laughs> awesome. Well, Bernice, you're totally inspiring and <laughs> such like great energy, and you're really funny. And I know that people are going to come out to Mutiny Radio um, for your show tonight at ten, which mm-hmm. is like the that is that's that's like Pam. That's the uh, all ladies. That's the all ladies show. That's kind of like the, the 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 headliner for the night, right? Woo! <laughs> Pam, why don't you come in here for a second? This is Pam Benjamin. She's our station director, and she's been working her ass off um, to put together the uh, festival, the comedy festival, for four years now. Yeah. Pam, thanks for thanks for hooking us up here. Thank you so much. I was I wasn't even looking really for like for the years past. I really was trying to focus on having uh, multiple genders and and multiple people represented uh, from all genders and specifically women, and then all and trying to be specifically multicultural. But I was telling Bernice this year. just pick the funniest people and it just happens to be incredibly diverse and multicultural and that we have almost as equal amount of men and women both involved in the festival and I wasn't even trying I was just like you just pick the funny people yeah and the word so, got out <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I'm, I'm stoked that um, people are willing to travel from 
all over the U.S. to come be here at Mutiny Radio, and that's really exciting to me. So, yay! Awesome. Well, such I'm, an honor. Yeah. <laughs> this is so cool, um, and it's really fun to be a part of. So, uh, Bernice, welcome back to San Francisco. Thanks, Pam Benjamin, for for setting this up so that we could have this. Uh, really great conversation and uh, give everyone a little bit uh, a little insight into into Bernice's uh, sense of humor or sensibility and her, her really inspirational stories so um, I'm going to leave you with this one thing uh, it's a little <laughs> bit of a teaser so so Bernice gave me this this uh, refrigerator magnet mm-hmm. and it's a it's 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 a pink bunny and it says sick pets make strong children <laughs> so you'll have to come and listen uh, come hang out at mutiny radio and listen to the live show um tonight uh, the all ladies show we're here at 2781 21st street here in san francisco 94110 if you need to know that as zip code um but we're at the corner of 21st in florida in the mission district come out there's going to be shows um throughout the week there's going to be five full days of um showcases various hilarious themes um each show is 10 bucks. Uh, you can pre-buy your tickets online on the website, mutinyradio.fm. Uh, there's a, there's a specific link you can click and see all the different shows that are happening. Um, Bernice, you're going to be tonight at 10. And then mm-hmm. what are your other, um, shows? Um, I have two shows on Sunday. So, um, 8 PM, um, dysfunctional family and 9 PM, um, um, fur babies are better than real babies. <laughs> <laughs> Monday, I have two podcasts. The one is on like every day about races. And, uh, and at noon, we're going to talk about Argentine tango. Um, Tuesday at 5 p.m., I have uh, one show. I will be in the show, uh, comedy show, um, Dating a Comic. Oh, fun. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you so much, Val. Yeah, we're wrapping up here, Women's Magazine. Um, just remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like I'm going to leave uh, communist China and go to the U.S. and become a really funny lady saying funny, important things. Hey, inspiration is contagious. So peace and thank you. And we'll play another song here from Pamela Parker because she does, in fact, rock. This song's called Pedal to the Metal. And I think it's going to play. Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Up 
Hey everybody, thanks for being tuned in to MutinyRadio.fm. I'm your host of Joke Workshop, Pam Benjamin. Hey, it's a Monday, it's 6 o'clock, it's time to get started. It's a Joke Workshop here on MutinyRadio.fm. Yay! Yay! What are we... What kinds of crazy things do we do here at Joke Workshop? Uh, comedians do four-minute sets. There's four minutes of critique. The show is as good as the people in the audience because nobody wants to hear my comments the whole time. So I'm back here taking notes. I hope you guys all have a pencil and a paper and you're taking notes too because we're all here to help each other. It's community. Help each other with tags, whatever. Hey, if you're up on stage and you do your four minutes and people aren't saying stuff, it's your four minutes of critique. Lead us. Tell us. Ask us questions. What did, which punchline do you need help on? What do you want tags on? What are you doing with your life? Et cetera, et cetera. We, we, really, are, we really are here to help here at Joke Workshop. Uh, so, with that being said, your first comedian just recently had a killer show last week. He has a bunch of killer shows because SRGO Productions. I don't know if it's like Sergo or if it's Sergio. Anyways, uh, it's a great production company and they're doing really, really great stuff. Uh, before I even get to that, tell everybody, please, please, please remember to donate $2 to Mutiny Radio. It's how we keep the doors open. We really appreciate your $2. But your first comedian of the night, uh, what an amazing producer. It really was a stacked, stacked show. And um, I didn't know that he did drag until that night. And now I understand him so much better. Please put your hands together for your first comedian of the night, everybody. Sergio Navoa. For the, for the record, Pam, I don't do drag. The fact that it was my birthday and there was a drag show, I thought I surprised everyone. And while the show was happening, I was transformed in the back. And I just transformed in the back room. And I just... You, I don't know if you saw, but yes. I saw it on the internet. You murdered on it. On the internet. Okay, okay I'm going to start your time now. Oh, all right. <clears throat> Hi, you guys. My name is Sergio. Uh, straight men are gentrifying gay culture. Yeah, some of my gayest friends are straight men. <laughs> they ask me to go to straight bars with them and critique women's outfits. Uh, we only work out to impress the other men at the gym. And I can't go to brunch without running into my straight male friends. But there is one difference between us. Um, I don't manscape. <laughs> men are constantly coming out to me as straight. Um, I thought only gay people had to come out. What's, first there's Queer Eye, now they're coming out, what's next? They'll take over gay bars. And I say this because all my straight male friends are always saying, yo, let's go to a straight bar so I can pick up chicks. Bro. <clears throat> That's like a vegan going to a steakhouse for a salad. For a salad. <laughs> That's how it starts. Gay bars are the gateway to gay town. They go there for Cindy, but they go home with Sergio. <laughs> but straight men have the worst pickup lines. Ladies, you think you have it bad? Try being a gay man, getting hit on by a straight man in a gay bar. I always get the, bro, if I were gay, I would totally have sex with you. <clears throat> and I'm like, bro, I am gay, and I would totally not have sex with you. I don't do by curious. To play with me, you gotta be able to take it like a man. <laughs> this one guy would not take no for an answer. He kept coming at me this way, he was coming at me this way. He didn't come on me, he just kept, 
coming at me. Now, I love to travel, and if you've never been to Colombia, cancel whatever it is you're doing tomorrow and go. Colombians are some of the friendliest people. My first night there, I was offered Coke and coffee. <clears throat> I don't drink coffee. Yes, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> oh, shit, I lost where I was. Oh, also, Colombians don't have cocktails. You basically get a bottle and shot glasses. The hangover is free with purchase. They have this drink called Aguardiente, which basically means bitter water. And the next day, I figured out why people, the expression uh, praying to the porcelain gods finally made sense to me. The perk, though, my, the next day, my stomach looked amazing. So I do recommend it. Uh, Disneyland is not the happiest place on earth. Puerto Vallarta is. If you've not been to Puerto Vallarta, cancel whatever it is you're doing tomorrow and go. Uh, well, it used to be, but Americans have ruined it. I think Mexico should build a wall. Um, just to keep us out, we're not sending our best. Now, I went to Tel Aviv to see Madonna in concert. In case you haven't figured it out, I'm gay. Um, if you have not been to Tel Aviv, cancel whatever it is you're doing tomorrow and go. Yeah. Now, if you have a UAE stamp on your passport, oh, you're looking for the, the, the horn thing. If you, if you have a UAE passport uh, stamp on your passport like I did, be ready to be poked, probed, and manhandled. Yes. Ladies, it's like writing bar during rush hour. Now, if you've never written Bardu in Rush Hour, count to whatever it is you're doing tomorrow and get this taken care of. <laughs> the El Al Air, uh, TSA agents are very thorough with their um, <clears throat> screening process. I thought I was at my doctor's for my annual checkup. The only thing that was missing was turn to your left and give me two good coughs. Uh, and that's it. That's all I have. <laughs> As you can see, fully memorized. That was, that was, and you finished perfectly at four minutes, Sergio. That was badass. I, that was four minutes? That was exactly four. You, know you did exactly you write four that? minutes. Two hours. Ah, God well, it. you did exactly four minutes, and that was, that was fucking killer. Fuck. Uh, I welcome any, and I do have some questions in case you guys don't take me there. Yeah. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Marty. Do it. Uh, the, the recurring cancel your plans line was fun. I definitely keep that. Uh, keep that. Keep that in there and overuse it. Abuse it. Like, but get, you got to get progressively weirder with it. Like, when you did the right thing. Like, you went to BART instead okay. of, like, staying in a country. But go even weirder. Oh, like, okay. And maybe wait a little bit and bring it back at some point with something you could, like, really, like, ding it up on. Um, okay. The the coke and coffee line. I think you still need a you need a little bit of a, a layer in between the uh, the bit where you said like you know they offered me uh, coke and coffee and you said well and then you said you just said I don't drink coffee but it, it, it was something a little padding in between there because it was just kind of abrupt and I don't think people yeah. realize what you're not everyone necessarily realizes what you're saying. Okay. Um, I like the the prayer to the porcelain god. It, it could be fun to expand on that and actually write a prayer. Oh. Uh, oh, okay. Like, you know. In Spanish, in Spanish. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'd yeah, be like, that'd me virgin de Guadalupe, blah, 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 blah. Like wow. something very, yeah. Damn, that was really great Spanish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me virgin de Guadalupe. Yeah. Um, you said the, the, the bit about seeing Madonna in Tel Aviv and said, so if you haven't figured out I'm gay, but you did a whole bit, your whole first minute and a half was about 
being gay, oh, pretty saying? much. Oh, you know, uh, okay, I added, I wasn't supposed to say. Oh, okay. If you haven't figured out. that. I would helped. say, I would say, instead I would say, and that's the gayest thing I've said so far. You've already talked about men oh. coming on you. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah going to that's all I got. Okay. Thank you. That was lovely. Yeah, I I loved your coming out as the start, and I felt like you missed a lot of cum jokes. Like, if you're already there, like, I, you kept saying the word coming, and I was like, I was sort of waiting for a big, I was waiting for the big explosion of cum. Uh, I loved your vegan joke about the steakhouse. I thought that was very cute. And um, not selling our best. Give me more specs. I don't know what that means. I wrote something down that doesn't make any sense. Sorry about that. I, no I was laughing very hard at, at all your things. This is all new stuff. I enjoyed it. Cool. I'm cleaning up my act, as you can see. <laughs> <laughs> so, in a, in a sense, you're... you're uh, there was like two uh, acts. Yes. That, right. If you told them in reverse order and talked, started with the Tel Aviv and Madonna and cancel your plans. Then at the end, when you start talking about going to brunch and saying, if you've never gone to brunch, cancel your plans. I'm at a gay bars. If you ever do a gay bar, cancel your plans tomorrow. And then you can crowbar that, that, like you said, abuse it, like put it in there, like three more times. Oh, so reverse the order. Oh, start with the travel. And then that's when you okay. can break it in case you haven't noticed I'm gay. And then you can, after the travel stuff. Yeah, you'll get a we'll laugh on the reveal of you being gay, even though, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. You want to stick it in the backside of your set if you can. Always. <laughs> Easiest way to get there. Sergio, nice job, man. Um, I thought you touched on an insight that I wanted you to dive into more, which was the fact that, like, a lot of straight dudes, they like to imagine that if they were gay, they would get constant dick and ass. Yeah. Right? So It's totally true, by the way. Like a to yeah, totally true. <laughs> no, so I thought, and that's so false, you know, because I think there's a difference between the quotes, if I were gay, all dudes would want to fuck me, and if I were gay, only the gay guys who would want to fuck me would fuck me. It's a much different number. Oh, gotcha. I think there's something interesting there. I didn't write it the right way, but just okay. those two... Things. The thing that I had originally is I said straight men think that just because they're men that all gay boys want to fuck them. I'm like, not me. I don't want you to learn how to suck dick on my dick. Uh, That's taking it a little bit too far. Yeah, no. Nope, because nope, I was like, I don't want you to learn to suck dick on me. No, it's not a training wheel. It's not a training wheel. And that's where that line, line came in where I say, by the time you get to me, you got to take it like a man. Right. Nice. But I like that's that. Good. Okay. Can work that cool. Into Anything else at all? Oh, I just want to say how jealous I am because in two hours you produced a high volume of punchlines of very degree and, and that's, a, that's, oh. a, that's a nice skill set. Oh, thank you. I mean, you should see all the shit that didn't get on. <laughs> <laughs> you should see all those pages. Uh, one, uh, any, one thing that I didn't get, I got to say. Find a microphone, friend. Oh, sorry. I don't think the cord is that long. There you go. Uh, I, th I think I get the porcelain, like praying to the porcelain gods, but then I didn't understand like the whole like it made your stomach look great part. All that throwing up the next day, I had like a perfect oh, six pack. Okay. But yeah, okay. He's clearly doesn't have, has never had an eating disorder. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, neither have girls, I, for the record. All the girls got that joke, but that's good. Okay, good. Yes, we did, honey. Oh, uh, so, snap. Oh. Oh. I really uh, thoroughly enjoyed the take it like a man as a topper right mm -hmm. there. I don't know if you're a bottom or a top, but that's a good topper. I like to put it at the bottom. Uh, <laughs> but I was a little bi-curious about why you were not into the bi-curious guys. You explained it, but I think that you give like a really good three-part lister joke in there leading up to, you know, when you get to me, you have to be able to take it like a man. Oh, so and with that, right maybe for some other stuff in between. Build a little thing in there. Maybe I could do the whole thing. I don't want you to learn to suck dick on mine. Yeah. And oh, maybe the training wheel dick, something training like that. Training wheel yeah. dick. Okay. This is not a training wheel dick. This is a BJ, not I won't be your guinea pig training, dick. Yeah. yeah. 
Clap wildly, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Sir, everybody look up on Instagram, uh, SRGO Productions. He does multiple shows every week. He has really great shows. You should check him out. You should listen to My Limited View here on Tuesdays from noon to 2 on Mutiny Radio. Your next comedian, what a joy he is. Uh, he runs F-Bomb Comedy Train, which is coming up on April 26th. Get your tickets now. It is so much fucking fun. It's a train, and you get on, and you drink, and then there's comedians. And uh, he's, he's a great comedian in his own right. He's going to be hosting during the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Put your hands together for Marty Cunning. Oh, what do we got, guys? Uh, I'm not very good with dating apps. I uh, I find that women on there are very dishonest. You know, they never really say what they really want. Like, what does every girl say, right? They say they like books, but you show up with your copy of Dianetics and they get freaked out. They're like, is, is this another audit? How did you catch me this time? Uh, they say they like wine, you show up with your bag of Franzia, they look at you like you're some kind of asshole, you know? You know how long it takes to chill a bag of wine? 45 minutes. I've tried several times. It's, uh, it's an important skill to have. Uh, they say, you know, every girl says they like adventure, but you show up in your wizard's robe and they look at you like you're some kind of weirdo. Like, come on, I thought we were going to go kill some orcs. Like, this was a match made in heaven. They say they want chemistry and they get freaked out when you take them to your meth lab, you know? It's... <laughs> It's uh, just say what you really want, okay? Be specific, because honestly, I could take that all very differently. Um, San Francisco is a very king positive city, which I think is great, because uh, I consider myself a king positive person as well. Like, it's crazy. Like, I was uh, down at like Bart the other day. I saw an ad for like a king party. I was like, damn, this is a crazy public place to have like an ad for this. But that's still San Francisco, right? And I was kind of drunk, and in my drunkenness, I was just like pointed. I was like, hell yeah. And this woman next to me just kind of looked over me, like shaking her head, like, what is wrong with you? I was like, listen, lady, this is San Francisco. You got to get with the times. And then I looked at the ad again, and it was not an ad for a king party. It was an ad for a nonprofit uh, supporting the victims of human trafficking. Uh, <laughs> And all I saw was two wrists bound together and just immediately assumed from there. And I had kind of a freak out moment. At first I was like, no lady, it's, uh, I, I thought it was for fucking. And she didn't think that was any better. Uh, that was really misleading. The, uh, the, the ad was really misleading. It was just like two wrists bound together. That could go either way, you know? Like I can't tell if those are like sexy knots or if like there's DNA under those fingernails, you know? Like I don't know which way that's, that ad's going. Yeah, I don't know. I had a recent stint with unemployment, which was cool. I tried to keep my mind fresh, read a lot of articles. I read an article, uh, apparently Boston University did a study, and they found that men who ejaculate uh, once or twice or four times a week uh, reduce their risk of prostate cancer by about 30%, which is great. Um, so after this recent stint with unemployment, I'm proud to announce that I've come about this close to curing prostate cancer. Uh, <laughs> That's right. I'm putting in the long, hard, messy research hours so you guys don't have to. Uh, I do think I probably masturbate too much. Like, and the way that you can tell, I think, when you masturbate, I think you, the way that you can tell masturbate too much is the time it takes to go from ejaculating to just going back onto like social media, uh, like whatever that amount of time is like, that's there, there's, there's like some measure there that like approaches zero, like a fucking, a, a parabola curve or whatever. It's almost like 
like listening to like figure out how far away like lightning is like 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 timing the between the thunder and the lightning like the shorter that gap gets the more you are uh an actual degenerate um speaking of kinks um you know it's 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 feels like i'm like almost obligated as comedian to talk about ass eating at this point it's just like everybody talks about it now it's such like it's like such a zeitgeist uh of ass eating i don't understand it's everywhere it I don't, again, I don't have a problem with spit shining the old wagon wheel. That's not the issue. The other thing is it's, it's a twofold issue is one, uh, every time I talk to somebody and they mention ass eating and they're like super into it. And then if I go to their house, first thing I look for a bidet, guess what? No one ever fucking has one. Okay. That is disgusting. Don't talk to me about ass eating if you don't have the proper equipment. Okay. Don't ask me to eat it off the floor if you don't want them up, huh? How about that? Let's let's think about that. Uh, number two, uh, I don't think it's not a new thing. It's just now now it's a thing that everybody talks about. Like ass eating, you should have always been eating ass. That's not a new thing. But now it's like I don't want to sound like some kind of analingus hipster. Like oh, we always used to do it, you know. Uh, Ton punch of the old, old fart box. That's what my dad used to call it, you know. Tossing the salad. That's what the that's what they did when they came home from the war. Like that's. I don't want to be that guy, you know. Uh, last one, little bit, guys. Uh, actually, I think I'll just leave it at that. Thanks, guys. What are you going? Don't say that's your job, motherfucker. Marty Cunny, everyone, uh, espousing the beauties of eating ass. I love it. Let's get back to Roman times. That was my clean set. Thanks, was, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay, Marty Cunny. I would, uh, I would um, make some reference to Roman time when you start talking about eating ass. Like, just throw a little history back to like, there's, there has been eating ass since like the yeah. beginning of time, at least, at least written word time or pictograph time. I mean, yeah. go back to the, uh, I don't know, Egyptians. They ate ass too. There's a whole, you know, cave dwellings about it. Yeah. Well, It'd there's really like fun, like yeah. uh, people at Pompeii were found like with their face in between right, each other's ass cheeks. Enshrined forever. Something you, like you would have that. to act that yeah, out. If you could act that out, that'd be fun. <laughs> if like, what would a hieroglyphic look like if someone was eating that ass? Would be oh, it's like an Egyptian hieroglyphic where like one's like this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good that idea. Would be fun. I like that. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, yeah, live action, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the meth lab uh, thing was good. I just wanted you to get to it quicker. You had a lot of examples before that. Yeah, I've been trying to toy them out with those examples of yeah. which ones. Uh, I think I'll probably drop the wine one because that one always gets the least reaction. Was a little weak. Yeah, yeah, a little flat. Wizard costume. I think it could be worded better. Uh, yeah, I said it weird. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, and then I think the wristbound together thing is funny. The getting the human trafficking mixed up with the kink. Yeah. Add, I think you forgot to mention the like the wrists were tied together. Maybe you did that on purpose in the upfront because when you hit the punchline, like oh, I thought it was human trafficking. Everyone was dumped. Like if yeah, it, but I meant to do it. Yeah, know. no, no. It's just like I, I've been trying to like it was a lot of words leading up to it anyways, yeah. and. I'm still, that's a very new one, so I'm still trying to figure out how to say it. So, yeah, that's, I, I do need to mention, like, the wrist being bound thing. Okay. Because, like, that could easily be an ad for the Folsom Street Fair. That's like, that is what I thought at first. Like, that's a funny punchline, too. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, la I think I was the only one who laughed at the line because even though I didn't know about the, the wrists being tied, I just thought it was so absurd and ridiculous that you're, like, talking, taking us down this road that, oh, yeah, it's a kink ad. No, it just turned out to be a human trafficking ad. Yeah. I'm just like, what the fuck? And it turns out I'm an idiot. But I'm a yeah. sick fuck, so I don't know. Yeah. 
uh, on the grounds of masturbation, because I think everyone was wondering about it. I think the concept of like, what do you do right after is really funny. Like exploring like how fast do you go back to social media? And you could probably explore more like, okay, like normally you go to this, but if you go in like in 15 minutes or whatever, then. Oh yeah. Set up like different stages. Like here's where you are in life. That's a good idea. Yeah. And I think you're still trying to find like what exactly you are. Like I think you ended up in like sick degenerate, but it sounded like there could have been a laugh there. Like once you concluded that thought. Yeah. That's a very new thought. So that's, that's a good one. I like that. Thank you. Which social, you don't use Vine. Does Vine still exist? If you can finish in six seconds, yeah. Yeah. Hey. There you go, yeah. I'm really stupid. I'm so sorry. What party was it? Other than a domestic party? No, no. We said cake party? Cake party? What? Kink. Kink. Shit, I couldn't hear the word. Oh, that I mispronounced? That I kind of mumble it? Yeah. Even when you said it, I didn't hear it. Okay, number one. And number two, I thought maybe you cured prostate cancer for the next five lives, or perhaps you cured your great, 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 great grandkids prostate cancer. Yeah. If you're if you're going into it, and I cured my mom's prostate cancer. She's a lady. Perhaps the greatest generation also ate ass. You know, the World War II veterans and etc. So anyway. Yeah. Example. Nice set, man. Thank you. I was gonna say the one thing is when you said kink party, you or kink positive, you would just gone into like your uh, wizard costume if maybe your costume was something more like a like a chainmail type costume you can play with the, the kink in the chainmail and have that be something you tag with uh, kink in the chainmail okay that's yeah. a thought kink yeah kink in the chain um, the yeah. whole kink thing you said something about I'm not gonna eat off the floor unless you have a mop yeah bring the kink back into it so you, there seems to be unless like, like that's umbrella. my thing I'm not yeah. trying to shame anybody yeah <laughs> so I think you might be able to play with the kink a little bit more like spread it out <laughs> yeah. ah! and then the whole thing about it coming I, just, I was thinking the same thing I was like oh what if you like came enough to solve a few of your generations so, yeah cool that's good that's fine cool I want to disagree with whoever said that uh, the meth bit took too long. I feel like your meth jokes are really up to speed. Hey. <laughs> I love that. I love you. Hey. No, but I also, I really think that there's a ton of potential with uh, that whole concept of how back do you, or how quickly do you get back to social media? After yeah, fishing. that's, I haven't really thought that one through. That was just me tossing that out. So if anybody but has anything on that. That was great. I was thinking you could do maybe a back to the future comparison and have like a space come continuum. <laughs> talk about like the fuck capacitor. Like you have so many things that you could pull from. Yeah. And how you can just go back. 88, to 88 like strokes a minute or something. Yeah. I, like that, yeah. I recently learned that you don't have to Instagram in the moment. You can wait till later. Yeah. Like you can take the picture in the moment and you can post it later. I learned that. That's so awesome, maybe Pam. That's I'm something glad you're about, learning. I'm, I don't understand Instagram, but you can take a picture in the moment and post it later or something. I don't understand. Everybody yeah. clap wildly for Marty Cunning. Thank you. I'm really excited about your next comedian. He is also part of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. He hates millennials, and I agree with him. I know those poor snowflakes, they just melt in the rain. Put your hands together for Matthew Quirk. Go sideways, hella fast, and alive as with Ghost ride the shit. What the f- I know what you guys are thinking. What, what chance does this guy have with prostate cancer, right? Zero percent chance. That's what I got. Uh, anyway, I got to take a little umbrage with the ass-eating thing. It is a, a, a new thing, I think, I mean, a resurgent thing. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys realize this, but uh, we became, we went from living in, like, huts to, to being a civilization when we separated ass from eating. That was how 
It's a key part in human evolution, actually. Uh, anyway, yeah, I hate you, millennials. Uh, and uh, I got to come up with, uh, I'm on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival hosting the Millennials versus Gen X. So I got to... I got to come up with new millennial shit. Thankfully, you guys are givers, right? I mean, this Jesse Smollett guy. I mean, what the hell? Uh, I got to tell you guys, what a fucking millennial crime. I mean, they caught him through Uber and, and text. And he had a Subway $5 foot long when he was, like, discovered by regular. He was eating a Subway sandwich with the noose still around his neck. I mean... It's like cross-promoting cross or something you guys are doing. And uh, anyway, uh, I got to tell you, if uh, I was committing this crime, if I was falsifying this crime, if I was staging this scene, I would have cast myself as the hero, not the victim. That's peak millennial bullshit, guys. The highest thing you guys attribute yourself to is being a fucking victim. It's like this through-the-looking-glass cuckold moment of your generation, just full wimpage. Anyway, uh, I like to be very newsworthy as well. I don't know if you guys heard, but we're, like, going to war with Venezuela. Yeah, so they're going to start amassing troops in Colombia. So as a public service announcement, I'm reminding everyone that cocaine is going to get really expensive real soon. <laughs> and you might want to stock up. Uh, anyway, uh, also keeping, uh, you guys know who William Harper is? He's the scientist that uh, Trump has appointed to the climate change. And uh, he said that CO2 is misunderstood, uh, much like the Nazis misunderstood the Jews. <laughs> and uh, I, I know he was trying for a backhanded compliment. Uh, but... I don't know if you want to mix up Nazi Jew gases. I think avoid trains while you're at it. And uh, forget about how he was wrong. So uh, I don't know if you guys know I live in a van. And uh, let me van explain something that just happened to me. Uh, I got in an accident, guys. I accidentally backed my house into someone else's, I don't know, summer home or something. I don't know how you people live. And uh, I was also reminded of, uh, I did TS, I went to visit my family in New Jersey and I was coming back. TSA like pulled me aside. Apparently I screened for uh, volatile chemicals, like somehow chemicals around me. And they're like, have you been anywhere that has like chemicals? And I'm like, dude, I'm in New Jersey. Thought you guys would screen for that. Anyway, they pulled me aside to give me a TSA pat down. And it was these two old crusty guys and they put their blue gloves on. And when they're gonna hit your danger zones, they tell you I'm just gonna put my backhand against you. And uh, I realized that's just a backhand job. That's all that is. And uh, after the whole experience, I gotta tell you guys, I wasn't that traumatized. I think I'm ready for gay stuff. I think I'm ready. All right. That's it. He's ready for gay stuff. <laughs> In his van down by the river. <laughs> Boys, <laughs> sign up now. I I love everything you do. Go ahead, Matthew Quirk. I mean, Marty Cunney. Uh, 
I like your your direction with the Jesse Smollett thing is good. I like where you're going with that. I just feel like you're. I don't know what it is. You could use more, like the whole hero bit, like casting themselves as victims is maybe like draw up another comparison there or something like that. I don't know. Well, I've already heard someone say that this is what happens when you let uh, actors write a scene. <laughs> but I, that's not mine, so I can't. Yeah. Like, that's on my thought, but I sort of like heard someone else say it already. So that's pretty good. Yeah. But yeah, so don't use that one. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting. <laughs> Thanks so for letting I, us I, know. I, I have to go a different direction. Yeah, but you're going the right direction. Like you're, you're that's your whole shtick is you know fuck millennials, and that's like a great great one to go with. Uh, so keep going with that one. I like it. Uh, and then the fucking uh, yeah that that line that the fucking guy gave about the Jews and the greenhouse gases is unfucking believable, yeah. which is so funny. <laughs> I think just be clear when you be clear when you, like be really clear and concise when you explain it. And then just move on to whatever you're doing. But because you just kind of say, like, maybe we shouldn't associate these two things. But like, I don't I don't know. I feel like you could have like made that clearer. It's like so let me get let me explain this to you guys. He's saying that the Jews are like a greenhouse gas or something like that. Like uh, spell it like but slowly and like just be like, this is so fucking ridiculous. Right. And uh, this is probably something you won't use. But uh <laughs> This is gold. Do you think he was just trying to point out, find another way to blame the Jews for ruining the atmosphere or something like that? Because <laughs> technically they, they became a greenhouse gas. They control the weather now. <laughs> yeah. That's how they controlled the weather. It was all part of the plan. Yeah. Something like that. That's probably, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed your set. Vance planning gets me every single time. Um, so when you were talking about hosting the Gen X versus Millennials, I really wanted to get some good comparisons there. And I was thinking like, um, God was one of us versus hashtag God is with us. Or like um, Lindsey Graham versus Instagram or like some kind of intergenerational thing. Right <laughs> I love your set. Actually, the only, my only ask was, Vansplaining is hilarious as a concept. I want to know like five other things you're going to Vansplain to me. Because just one is good. Like if you have like two or three that you back onto that, like I feel like you'll get the room roaring. I've got a few more for the, yeah. I thought the heroes and not victims bit, it would be really cool if you explored. Like maybe taking an event that did happen like in the 80s or something like that, where it's like, that was cool to be that guy and not Jesse. I think that'd be cool. Like evil Knievel. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He he beat a guy with a bat for. Evil Knievel could probably beat like Gravedigger in a fight. Um, I was just thinking like with the whole subway bit, you could just make that part of the millennial crime thing. Just like, of course, of course, you guys would also try to profit over something you tried to create yourself, or I don't know, something like that. Like, of I don't know, I don't know. product. I just, I was like some shit. This is good say feedback. Something. Thank I you. loved your bit at OMG yesterday, too. It was fun. Charlie Spink, right. you're close to the... Charlie Spink is close to the mic. He has puns for you. This is how Charlie... Law Tigers, we fight for motorcyclists. We're not just motorcycle lawyers, we're part of the riding community. Law Tigers watches over riders. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, we'll help you get your motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Victor Davis, Harris Law Firm, LLP, 180 Criminal Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834. 
Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live the station. MutinyRadio.fm District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm MutinyRadio.fm Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco MutinyRadio.fm Hit the donate button Stream them live Download a podcast Have some fun San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Mutiny Radio San Francisco Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... Uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be 
Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com And experience Subliminal SF. Hey, you open micer in San Francisco comedy scene. 
Maybe you want time to do jokes. Well, this is the place to do it. Mutiny Radio. We have three open mic a week just for you. Monday's joke workshop from 6 to 8. Come and get four minutes and four minutes of commentary from your comedian peers. Come on Fridays for happy hour 6 to 8 here at Mutiny Radio. All the comics wonderful hilarious people in the scene get to know them hang out do a set have it recorded here and on a podcast at mutinyradio.fm and come in on saturdays from four to six get long sets because no one ever shows up so it's like stage time and people can listen come on by to mutiny radio get your comedy on baby tell me what you think about your situation, complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Rumbaugh. 